0: Well, we are back in the series, continuing in the series, The Jesus Way, as we are walking through the book of Mark and are looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 28. Uh, we're going to be reading a few verses there. Would you stand with me across the room? Our tradition around here, nothing sacred about standing. It's what just, just what we say to say, God, we value your words above my words. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us. So, God, we just push pause on everything else we've got going on right now, everything that's even running through our minds. God, we, we are intentional here. We want to hear from you. Would you speak to us? May we walk out of this place differently. Pray in Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm going to start this morning uh, with a moment of honesty. Uh, I just need to confess that I have a secret love in my life. It's called efficiency, okay? Can anybody relate to that? I love efficiency. Like there's nothing, like I love it when people have found the quickest, the most effective way to accomplish something in, in the world. Like there's sometimes in the life where I show up to an event, I sh- I'm in a line for something and I'm thinking to myself, it should not be this difficult, folks, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like seriously, was anybody thinking when we put this thing together? You know, we love it when people can be efficient, when companies can figure out a way to make something efficient for us. Think about it back in like the 90s, remember when you need to search something, you go to Yahoo, you remember that, okay, remember that? And then suddenly this company came out called Google and they made everything simple. It was just, clean. and now they've taken over the world and it's scary, but they took the complex and they made it very, very simple. There's another company out there, what? Apple, Apple, they make these complex ideas and all this stuff, but so simple. Our two-year-olds are the ones teaching us how to use an iPad or an iPhone, exactly, okay? And then there's the greatest, the one that, that Amazon Prime, how many of you like their, your Amazon Prime out there, okay? I know they're taking over the world, and it's horrible, but I love it. I don't care. I hit a button, and it's in my door in a day. It's amazing, okay? We love it when they take the complex, and they make it simple, right? And the passage we're going to look at today is very much like this. In a time when faith had become increasingly complex and had totally gotten off target, Jesus kind of brings things back to the core, to the simple, not to the easy, but absolutely to the simple. I want to get the context here to understand the passage that we're looking at here. Uh, there's a bunch of religious leaders and people just kind of wrestling with Jesus, and they're bringing him questions. If you look the few verses before this, they're bringing questions to Jesus. What they're trying to do is to get Jesus to trip up on things. They keep bringing questions like, oh, what's he going to say here? Can I get him to say something wrong? Can we do this? And so they're asking questions about taxes first, and then they ask him taxes and, uh, questions about marriage and the resurrection, and they're trying to trip them up. These people have different views on those kind of things and then we get to this conversation that we just read together where a man comes to Jesus and he says what's the most important commandment you look at all the commandments in the old what's the most important commandment and this is actually something that would happen fairly regularly the rabbis would get together and they would have these discussions saying all right what do you think the most important of all these things why would they have to say that because they had actually deduced 613 commandments out of the Old Testament. How many say, oh, my word, okay? It's not just the Ten Commandments. They had 613 rules. And they're like, that is a ton. How can we, is there a way that we can kind of figure this out a little bit better? And what Jesus does in this moment is he distills the truth of the entire Old Testament. He doesn't oversimplify it. What do I mean? See, what we have a tendency to do, especially with kids, is we oversimplify things when we're trying to communicate things with them. You know, you get a five-year-old or a six-year-old that comes up to you, mommy, mommy, how are babies made? Right? What's your response? Well, mm, well, when a man loves a woman and then they get married, then they have a baby. That's what happens. You walk away and you hope there's no follow-up question, right? Like, I'm just going to ignore it. What what have you done? You haven't really explained anything. (laughs) You have oversimplified. You've missed the essence of what makes a baby there on purpose, but that's fine, okay? But Jesus doesn't do that here. He doesn't oversimplify the Old Testament. He distills it to its core, to its essence, to what the real point was. With all the commandments, with all the rules, with all the theological issues, these people had missed the point, and he's bringing them back to the essence. And so what I want to do is I want to start with the big so what this morning. If you're taking notes, uh, uh, every week we have a big so what, what's the point of this thing? I want you to have this one thought to be our guiding thought this morning. It's this. God's heart is relational. relational. God's heart is relational. See, what Jesus says is the most important in this conversation is telling for what God's heart actually beats for. And I don't want us to hurry past this because this could be really easy. Oh, yeah, 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 whatever. But this is a crazy truth. Just stop and think for a second. The God, creator God, all power, authority, the God of the universe actually wants to have relationship with his creation. That's kind of crazy. It's bizarre. We aren't a nuisance to God. Sometimes we can feel that way, But that's not the truth. The truth is God wants relationship. He wants us to know him. Now we contrast that with what the conversation that goes on here and oftentimes what we see in the Pharisees when they're talking throughout the New Testament. They're very concerned about the details. They're concerned about kind of the doing stuff, right? This man comes to Jesus and he says, what's the most important rule so I can know what to do? And what Jesus does is distill the entire Old Testament into two thoughts that reveal one truth. God's heart is relational. It's not ritual. It's not obligation. It's not just simply the structure piece. It is relationship. What's the word that gets used throughout the Old Testament whenever people are are corrupting this thing with God? What is the word that gets used? Unfaithful. Unfaithful. When do you use the word unfaithful? very specific times. My guess is you've never been pulled over by a cop, right? You've never been pulled over and they walk up to your window and say, you have been unfaithful (laughs) to the speed limit, right? They don't say that to you. Say, you broke the law. You're going too fast. Broke the rule, right? That's what they say. When do you use the word unfaithful? When one spouse is unfaithful to another. Why? Because in that moment, it is like, you broke the rule, you said you wouldn't do that when you married me. No, it's not a rule breaking. You have just destroyed a relationship, right? You've been unfaithful. And see, this is what we have to understand. God's heart is not, like, are there are there things, are there rules and laws? A hundred percent. But at his heart, God's heart is relational. His desire is intimacy. A real, honest, raw, authentic relationship. Hear this. God invites us into a love story, not into an instruction manual. Okay? Some of us would like an instruction manual because it would be super clean, like, Give me the things, I do the stuff, right? We like instruct, they're easy. But that, that doesn't inspire you. That doesn't grab your heart. That's not what God's desire was. Let's just hear, read the things and just do the things. Doesn't matter what's going on here. No, he wants your heart. He wants a true, genuine relationship. And that's what the gospel is all about. It isn't God just coming and making the wrongs right. It is him coming and restoring relationship with a mankind who was broken and lost without him. That's what the gospel is about. God's heart is Relational. So we look at the the explanation and what we got going on here, and we we ask the question what does this relationship? Look like, And that's where Jesus is painting a picture. This this conversation that he's having here, he's not having a conversation of, here's the, the method for salvation. We understand salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. You cannot love God enough to fix your problems and to restore yourself in and of your own strength. You cannot do that. That is why we needed Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. But in that relationship, he's explaining what should this thing look like? What do my people look like? Okay? So we get to verse number 30, and he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If you're taking notes, point number one is this, loving God is an all-in play. Loving God is an all-in play. Have any of you ever gone skydiving before? Raise your hand. Anybody gone skydiving? A couple of you? You guys are crazy, okay? You're crazy. Okay, I saw this video. You can put up this video here. Um, I saw this video of this lady who was uh, going skydiving. This was her very first time going skydiving. And, um, and she, she, you know, she was super smiling, and then he started reading this whole thing, and like, hey, you could die. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Not a big deal. She's still feeling pretty light and feeling pretty peppy. Uh, but things start to change when she realizes the door opens up, and you can see her start freaking out, and she just starts oh screaming. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> Okay, okay, and she's just like, I'm afraid she's gonna die here, like, she's gonna lose it. thing. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and to push her out, there she goes, and she's gone. And for the next 45 seconds, her face is literally just screaming nonstop. She gets to the bottom of this thing. <laughs> She gets to the bottom of the thing and the guy's like, are you going to do that again? She's like, no, that was the worst thing I ever did. But why did she scream while she was still in the plane? Because she understood skydiving is an all in play. (laughs) There's no like, I kind of went skydiving, right? I kind of jumped out of the plane. You're all in or you're not in, right? And see, this is what it means to follow Christ. Loving God is an all-in play. There is no like, oh, I'm kind of loving God. No, it's all or nothing. Like we jump all in or we don't. It said heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is our heart? Our whole is the, heart is the core of us. It's, it's the source of our thoughts, our words, our actions. Right? This isn't again. He's not just looking. Are there actions? Absolutely, but it starts with a heart that says. I give you my heart. I love you from my heart. This isn't just a thing that I do. It is from the core and the essence of who I am. This is what it says in Proverbs 4, 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For it is the wellspring of life. He's saying the core of who you are, love me from there. Would you respond to me there? Would you give me your life there? It's your heart, it's your soul. What's the soul? In the word in Greek, the soul is the animating life in emotion, right? It's more than just this thing like, I, I, I'm a robot doing this. No, no, no. The very soul of who you are that you love God, but it's heart, soul, mind. And I think this is one we struggle with still in the, in the church, in our modern church specifically. What is the mind? It's loving him with your will, your intention, and it's the knowledge A lot of us, sometimes in the modern church, we can get real passionate, like, I love Jesus, and I sing the worship songs, and I love going to a worship conference and a worship concert and doing these kind of things, but we never take the time to actually study the God that we say we love. We don't dig into his word. We say, I don't understand that. I have a hard time understanding the Bible. You know, 800 years ago, before the printing press and before podcasting and all those things, you had an excuse. There's no more excuses for for growing. Every single one of us have so many tools at our disposal to, to grow in our knowledge of who God is. Hey, there's there's something coming in this Saturday, you know? You've heard this pillar workshop on studying the like, hey, it's there. You have the opportunity to grow. Are we loving God with just our the yeah, love you, love you? But no, are we willing to grow in our mind to say, God, I want to know you more, I want to understand your word more, that I might love you with all my being, right? Jump in with everything I've got, not just the things that are comfortable to me. That's the challenge for us, but it's loving with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is the strength? It's the physical energy. It's the do part of this thing. Do we love God with the things that we do? We can love God with the things that we think. Oh yeah, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Your beliefs are shown out by what you do. What you really believe is shown out by what you do. Your actions prove. Is he Lord? Do you want to love him? Okay, well then it has to prove itself with some of the actions that we have. In fact, those... Uh, scripture that Jesus is quoting here is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to read the following verses. So he does it, love the Lord God with all hearts soul, minds strength, all that kind of thing. And then he goes on and says this in Deuteronomy. These commandments that I give uh, you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. What is he saying? The whole idea is that this isn't just something you think about and you talk about it actually works its way out into every area of your life as you're coming and you're going this loving God becomes something that fleshes itself out in every area there is no part that you hold back to yourself we talked about this in alpha on Wednesday night if you were there but we quoted from James chapter 1 verse 22 and it says this do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says You see, the problem is a lot of us, we deceive ourselves. Yeah, I heard a good sermon. That was a good sermon. Cool. Did you do anything with it? Nope. (laughs) But I heard it, so I feel better. I know more. Great. You're deceiving yourself at that point. Like, loving God is more than just hearing. Is it hearing? Absolutely, but it requires doing something with it. Am I responding? And the people listening here, they would resonate with this idea because they were all about the external do. But unfortunately, they had gone beyond it, and they had turned this relational challenge, this loving God with everything, they had turned it into meaningless ritual. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to notice something in this verse, okay? Okay? Because the focus isn't on how, it's on how much. Scripture makes it really clear how we are to love God. If we want to love God... We should have hearts that are obedient. If you want to show your love to God, we listen, we trust, we follow him. That's natural, okay? But this commandment isn't talking specifically about the how. It's about how much. Because here's what happens. When we focus on how we worship God, oftentimes we begin to set limits and limitations for loving God. What do I mean? How do I love God? Oh, I go to church on Sundays. That's how I love God. Cool. That's the box of how I love God. How do I love God? Oh, uh, I, I give money to God. Cool, that's great. That's one of the ways that I love God. But the problem is when that's the, if that's the only way I love God, well, then I've just kind of left everything off to myself. The rest is mine. And the goal isn't just the how, it's how much, and what is the answer to everything. It isn't like here's the one way I love God. No, it's how can I love God through every part of my life? You pick the area, right? How I treat my spouse. How am I loving God through the way I treat my spouse? How am I loving God through my finances? How am I loving God with how I treat my neighbor? How am I loving God with the way that I engage in spiritual things? How can I love How can I work this out? You remember a few weeks ago, I talked about the exempt box. So often we want to set the limitations and say, this is the way that I love God. No, God is saying, I want you to love me with everything, like every part, all the stuff. And sometimes you're going to mess it up and that's fine. You're going to find, here's a new way that I can find a way to love God That I might truly put him first in every, the way I relate to people, the way I relate, you know, sexually, the way that I relate with chemicals, all those things. God, how am I loving you through these things? Would you show me? Would you reveal this to me? God, that I could love you with everything that I've got. No limits, no hidden rooms, no exempt boxes. So that's what it is. Loving God is an all in play. It's all the stuff. So is there an area in our lives right now where we say, ah, I'm not sure if I'm loving God in that area. Maybe he wants to challenge us in some way. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the question that he comes, the guy comes to him and asks him, what's the one commandment? Give me that one commandment, Jesus. And I find it interesting that Jesus gives him two. He doesn't answer with one. He gives him two. And he says the second is actually very much like the first. In fact, in the language, it's like it's of the same essence. What does he say? The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And what Jesus does here is he knits these two things together. You don't get one without the other and he exposes this critical truth for us. And it's point number two in your notes. It's this. Loving people isn't extra credit. It isn't extra credit. Do you remember extra credit when you were a student? You know what that's like, right? You're like stinking it up in school and you're like, oh, I'm not doing very well. So if I do this, I could get a little extra credit. I'll get a better you know, relationship here. My teacher will like me. I'll get a better grade, all those kind of things. And some of you are like, I'm, you know, you're like the good student, so you don't need the extra credit. So like, I don't have to do that. I'm already got an A, not a big deal, right? Like, that's not how loving people works in the kingdom of God. It isn't extra credit. It isn't this like nice add-on that we get to do or like the really spiritual people. They're the ones who love other people. No, this is like normal. This is the way it works in the kingdom of God. You wanna love God, you love people. You cannot separate the vertical from the horizontal. You just can't. You cannot love God without loving people. And hear this, the way to love God, one of the primary ways to love God is by loving people. You can't separate it. First John, John 4.20 says it this way. It says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Which feels a little aggressive. Right? Like, God, okay, I'm, I'm trying, but no. He's saying, listen, you don't get one without the other. You can't. And I, I'll, sometimes people, you've maybe said this before, but I'll hear people say it. I've probably said it myself. I love God, but I just can't stand people. <laughs> you ever thought that to yourself? Like, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand church people sometimes. Right? Okay, I get that. That's fine. But hear this, we can't love Jesus and hate the people he gave his life for. It just doesn't it's not an option. It doesn't work. He's called us to something deeper than that. So I want to ask a question, who is the person you struggle to love? Like who is it? Someone that you struggle because that's exactly who Jesus is talking about in this. That person. That group of people, who are they? They're the ones. And the question, again, the focus isn't on how to love them. It's how much to love them. What's the answer? How much are you supposed to love them? As you love yourself. The way you love it, and you're like, man, that feels extreme. Like, uh, that's, that's a little extravagant. I think that's the point. I think the point is to say, okay, this is what love really looks like. Love isn't the comfortable. Love isn't the convenient. Love isn't the thing that we always want to do, Right? But this is what we are called to, because what do we want? We want to set limits. We want to draw a line around who we have to love, and we also want to draw a line about how much we have to love someone, don't we? Like, I don't have to love it. They've done something, so therefore I no longer have to worry about loving them. And Jesus is saying, no. There's actually another interaction. Some of you are familiar with this interaction. It's similar text in the book of Luke, asking the same similar question. But the guy asks a follow-up question that we don't see in this passage. The follow-up question is, you're supposed to love your neighbor yourself, and the guy says, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And why does he ask that question? Because he wants to draw a limit. He wants to draw a boundary. like, is there somebody that I get to to put outside of this limit, that I don't have to love those people? And this is where Jesus tells the story uh, of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure most of you are familiar, you've at least heard the phrase, a Good Samaritan. What is it? Jesus telling a story about a man And it says that he's he's going from Jericho up to Jerusalem. If you're familiar with the terrain there, it's going uphill and it's very rocky, lots of crevices and stuff. And people would oftentimes hide in there and they would beat people up. They'd rob them. They would steal stuff. And this guy is, is climbing up. He's going up there and that's exactly what happens. He gets beat up, gets totally, and he's left for dead in the rocks. And it says that, that uh, some people start passing by, and the first person to stop by is a priest, and all the people listening, their Jews are like, priest, yeah, this is the hero of the story, and it says that he walks right around them and heads on up. And the next person is a Levite. Yeah, we love the Levites. This is awesome. He goes, says he walks right around him. He ignores him totally, but then lastly, it says that a Samaritan comes by, and everybody in the crowd is like, boo. We don't like the Samaritans. They're gross. But it says the Samaritan, what does he do? He walks up, he sees, he has compassion on the man. He binds up his wounds, cares for him, puts him on his donkey and takes him. Brings him to an end, says, hey, whatever it takes, I'll hear some money, I'll pay for it. I'll come back tomorrow. If there's any more needs, I'll pay for it myself. And Jesus asked the follow-up question, who was a neighbor to this man? And I'm sure nobody wanted to answer the question because they knew the answer. And it was the person they didn't like. It was the person who was outside of their boundaries. The person they would say, I don't want to love that person. I don't even like that person. Jesus makes that person the hero of the story. See, this is the call for us. Like, loving is hard sometimes. (laughs) But it's the call for every one of us as a follower of Christ. This is the normal way of doing things as followers of Christ. To pursue Love, not just to pursue love with God. He's saying, You cannot separate this from this. God, how can I love others? And what we have to understand is, in order to do this, we have to recognize this is not a love of attraction. It's not a love of feeling always, because we don't always feel it. I don't feel it always. It's a love of intelligence, it's a love of will, it's a love of purpose. It's a love of choice. It's a love oftentimes of sacrifice. It's, it's loving when we don't feel like it and loving people we don't feel like loving. That's what it looks like. I don't know about you, but for me, it can feel a little overwhelming when I think about this. I'm like, oh man, that's, that's hard, God. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how to do this. Like, how am I supposed to love people that drive me crazy? Like, how am I supposed to do that? I think we go back to the gospel. What does the gospel say? It says, wow, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Right? What does it say in 1 John 4, 19? It says this. We love because he first loved us. That's the motivation. When we've truly received, not just heard, but when we've received the love of God, when we've understand how little we deserve God's love, and yet he has poured it out on us. When we are able to receive it and let his transformative love begin to shape our hearts and our minds, it puts us in a posture where suddenly we're able to say, you know what, that person, I love them. Not because they're beautiful. Not because they do what I want them to do. Not because everything works. No, I love them because when I was unlovable, Christ loved me. See, that's what, it, that's what it means to have a heart shaped after Christ. That's why this whole gospel thing is not about behavior modification. It's heart transformation. It's God doing something in you that you could never do for yourself. And that's what some of you need this because your hearts are hard to certain people. And God is saying, listen, would you receive my love? Because when you receive my love, I will do something in you. I will produce something in you that is something you couldn't figure out on your own. Every one of us needs this. God, would we, would we love is you love us. And I would say this, would we take on the call that says this, God, here's how I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you by loving that person. Because I think some of the best acts of worship are not what we do here on Sunday morning when we raise our hands and sing songs. That's great. I'm pro-worship. I was worship dude for a long time. I love worshiping. But I think some of the greatest acts of worship are in the week when somebody treats you like garbage and you say, God, I'm going to choose to serve and love them anyways. And that is my worship to you. That is me loving you, God. I'm, I'm gonna value them. And God, that's how much I love you. That's what it looks like. It's a change of our perspective. And so I wanna, I wanna close with just a question here this morning. And I wanna just sit here for a moment at the end. And it's this, who is God calling you to love? Who is God calling you to love? Now, obviously the simple answer is everybody. Okay, great. That's a little over the top for us right now. What I want you to think about, who is God calling you to love right now? It's you're struggling to love. For some of us, it's a person. It is, you know it right now, like, I'm struggling with this person. For some of you, it is somebody in your house right now. <laughs> you're having a hard time loving. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's your parents. You come here on the weekends, and you're like, Jesus, I love you, but you treat your parents like garbage, okay? God's calling you to love. Maybe it's your spouse. You're like, put on the show. Yeah, we're just a happy couple. In reality, you treat each other like garbage all week long. You're not serving. You're not caring for one another, Okay. Is that the person you need to begin to, to show love? To say, God, would you begin to change me? God, could I, could my my love for that person begin to be a way that it's reflecting how much I love you? Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe there's a classmate, maybe you're thinking about right now, who is that person? That person that drives you crazy and every time you see them, you cringe. Every time you see them, you're like, oh, they drive me nuts, oh, I, uh, they, uh, they grate on me. And maybe you honestly, if you're honest, you're struggling, like I have hatred toward a person right now, I don't know who that person is. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would bring that to the surface right now for you. Who is that person? Because for some of us, that is the response here this morning, who is the person? But for others of us, it's not a person, it's a people. It's a group, it's a type, a group of people. Because we can have a tendency, we're all. it's natural, we can all have a tendency to have a bias against a group of people, to be prejudiced against a group of people. It can happen, and it can influence then the way that we think about people, the way that we care for them, the way that we choose to serve and to love them. What are those things? You can have a bias. It could be be a racial group. It could be a cultural group. It could be a political group. It could be an economic group. It could be an educational group. It could be a certain personality. It could be a certain type of a worldview. I don't know what it is, but we have a tendency to, to, in this world that we live in, how many know this? We are in an us-them world, right? It's always there's us and there's them. There's us and there's that. And we can draw categories around that all the time. The problem is oftentimes we will draw a boundary around the thems and say, well, I don't have to love them because of fill in the blank. I don't like it. I don't think they don't believe what I believe. They don't do all those things. And therefore I treat them differently. I think differently about them. I don't know who that group is for you that you struggle with. But my, my belief is that, that there may be a group that you need to say, God, my heart's gotten hard toward those people because I've thought of them as thems. God, would you soften my heart? I'm not saying you need to agree with every person. I'm not saying you have to believe what everyone else believes, but we are called to love them in a self-sacrificing way. And and as as Jesus said, if we are not choosing to love them, we're a liar if we say we love God. That's sobering, but that's what he said, okay? There's a... uh, I'm gonna give us a practical step here in a moment, but I just wanna close with a story. Um, there's a guy I know who's a local ministry, has a ministry towards Somalis here in, uh, Muslim Somalis here in the Twin Cities. He has a heart for them to see them come to know Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but his story didn't start there. His story started when he got in a car wreck with a Somali man who, at the time, uh, I don't think had insurance. It was a headache, it was a disaster. And the whole process was hard. It was frustrating, angering. He was just a businessman here in the cities, whatever. He loved Jesus, but in this moment, as he was going through this circumstance, what God began to reveal is suddenly he was having this revealed prejudice and and almost disdain for an entire people group because of an incident that took place. And God began to wreck him as he began to see, "I'm, I'm missing this here how can I profess that I love Christ and yet at the same time, I'm having this feeling toward a people because I'm letting a circumstance destroy this. And he began to bring his heart before God and God began to break his heart, to soften his heart. And now rather than being a business, he gave up his business that he did. And he's now started a full-time ministry reaching Somalis because God has burdened his heart for those who are his love for them is just palpable when you see him. His why? Because God began to do something in him that he couldn't do for himself. And why do I tell you this story? Because when I tell you about who's the person, who who's the people, you might think to yourself, there's no way I could love this person. There's no way I could do it. Guess what? God can do that in your heart. He can. He he can begin to transform your heart in a way that's beyond your ability to do. He can, but it begins in a posture of repentance to say, God, I see where where I'm wrong. I see where I'm missing it here. God, would you help me? And so I wanna give you a very practical uh, challenge for this week, and it's this. You said, who's the person? If it's a person or a people, write it down. Who's that person? Write their name down. It's a people group. Write their name down. It's a political group. Is it a people who believe certain, a certain, different demographic that just frustrates you? Write it down. And I want you to begin, begin praying blessing over them. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. <laughs> Talked about it two weeks ago. What do you say in the Sermon on the Mount? Those who you, those who hurt you, pray blessing over them. And watch what God will begin to do in your heart as you begin to say, God, I'm willing to pray over them. I'm willing to bless them, to encourage them, to ask that God would work in their hearts in their lives. God will begin to do something in your heart as you open your own heart to him, okay? I'm gonna invite you to stand with me across the room. And I want us to close with a, in, a, in a prayer, and then we're gonna just respond by singing just a few lyrics that we sang earlier. But. Uh, I want us to have this heart that says, God, who is it? And so even as we're praying right now, as we're gonna sing in a moment, you may still, you may be like, I don't have an answer yet, Greg. Okay, cool, just keep praying. I think God's gonna shine a light because I think every one of us have someone or a people group that we struggle with at times. And I don't want us to just simply hear this message and say, yeah, we should love people. I want us to walk out the door and say, God, I really wanna love people better than I do today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you're constantly inviting us into something better. You're constantly inviting us into this relationship with yourself, but you are calling us to relationship with others. Lord, we acknowledge that we don't do it well a lot of times. We go the wrong way at times. And so, Lord, we are asking by your spirit, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts. Do a work in our hearts, Lord. Those specific groups, those people that we struggle with, Lord Jesus, I pray this week that we would be intentional to display love. We would be intentional to be self-sacrificing in the way that we care for others. Lord, that we would respond to your love by giving it, not holding on to it. God, it's gonna take a miracle for some of us, a straight-up miracle, but we know that you are a miracle-working God. So would you do that in us, Lord Jesus? Thank you, Jesus.